We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet. Inside the five. To the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. He is McCaffrey. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. Welcome back to The Roar, presented by Blue Wire. And to help us preview the Atlanta Falcons this week, I have my good friend Alan Stark. You can find him on Twitter at Alan underscore S-T-R-K. He's been covering the Falcons for many years. I've been a good friend of his on Twitter, exchanging thoughts and ideas. Uh, Alan, welcome. Thank you for having me. The NFC South Division rivalry game. Always got to love it, even though I feel like the past few years, Falcons-Panthers, they've been in kind of a few drab matchups and I don't know, just based on where the teams are right now. I know Carolina's picking up a little bit of buzz, but it just feels like kind of another thought of a matchup. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely does. I think there's a little more intrigue with Carolina, especially oh. this week now, because 
they've won their last two games, and last week they did it in a pretty impressive fashion, uh, completely shutting down the Cardinals. Uh, their offense has looked sort of competent. But we're here to talk about the Falcons, and I think many fans would be disappointed with their not only their record, but just in the manner in which they've lost these games. It's sort of been baffling because huge lead against Dallas on the road, and they blow that, and another huge lead against Chicago, and they blow that too. And we'll get into a more deeper understanding of why this is happening, but it just seems pretty toxic right now with the Falcons. Am I wrong? Toxic is a pretty accurate term you could use. Even though I, players, they are firmly behind Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, as you know, is a very much a player's coach. But I think deep down, just they really should be two and two. But then even you look at the losses to Seattle and Green Bay, they were thoroughly outplayed. And just that Monday night game, you never felt like they were competitive from the first possession. Like Just the way Green Bay marched downfield, it just seemed like, okay, this is going to be a thorough beating. Even though the scoreline might not suggest it, it was just pretty comprehensive. And I think also doesn't help the injuries. You know, Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, Tack McKinley involved in injury. Julio Jones has played maybe two and a half games this year, I bet, at most. Mm-hmm. So and injuries definitely don't help. But look, there are a lot of teams facing adversity right now, given what's going on with COVID. And you know, injuries are always going to be a part of the sport. So just right now with the Falcons, like this looking like the third straight year where they're going to be at the playoff hunt by November, which is just insane when you look at, you know, their roster. And then, of course, Matt Ryan, you know, essentially being at the peak of his career. Yeah, and I want to focus on Matt Ryan because it, I know there's always, you know, just typical fan um, you know, rivalries. Some people like to talk down on Matt Ryan, but I've always been a huge fan of his. I think he's perennially not only just underrated, but just a really good quarterback. I mean, you talk about ball placement, you talk about accuracy, you talk about pocket presence, everything. I think this guy, I mean, maybe his arm strength isn't like the best in the world, but I think he's probably like one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in the last like decade or so. And we saw in 2016 when they had one of the best offenses, probably in NFL history. And since then, I feel like with Steve Sarkeesian and now Dirk Cutter, it's just they've gone away from doing what helps him kind of they don't they're not doing uh playing to his strengths essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean you compare that with some of the other teams in the NFC South, how uh the Saints play at Drew Brees' strength. Uh the Bucks are obviously doing that with Brady, and you're seeing some of that with Bridgewater and the Panthers. I just feel like the Falcons are completely like dismissing that. And you hear all this talk now with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. As you know, Matt LaFleur was on the Falcons coaching staff during that 2016 season. And people are talking about, oh, Rodgers on the LaFleur that second year, somewhat reminiscent of Matt Ryan, Kyle Shannon, just brings you back to those memories for the Falcons. It's just like, oh, wow. You hear Matt Ryan, that's where he was. We got here about 2016 again. Meanwhile, now he's being in this very constrained offense where it's like, okay, when second long, they're going to run a draw. Or here, they're going to force feed a screen. Or they're not going to use Plash much, most, not much at all. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's just you see how much teams are using play actions and just trying to create those high percentage looks mm-hmm. and you know, not trying to put their teams in third and situations. And everything that you see you know, when it comes to trends of what coaches like LaFleur and Shannon, even Kevin Stefanski now, you know, they're, they're playing their quarterbacks in field positions. Everything the Falcons are doing right now is putting Matt Ryan at a disadvantage. And, look, he hasn't played well the last two weeks. I've been kind of disappointed with some of his uh, throws, especially when it comes to more of the intermediate stuff where I think he's usually pretty precise. But 
it's just wow, their cutter. He's the poster child for Falcon yeah. fans when it comes to jokes, and he <laughs> there's no defense for it. There really is none. Yeah, you know it's funny because I thought Dirk Cutter was sort of the perfect coach for Jameis Winston, and and you saw Winston posted some pretty amazing numbers when Cutter was the offense coordinator, the head coach of the Bucks. Obviously, they weren't winning games, but I think that's partly due to a number of reasons. But I feel like for Matt Ryan. And this isn't a knock on Ryan. D- Jameis is a, compl- a completely different quarterback. He's more of a guy who likes to take shots down the field. He doesn't really care about how tight the window is. But Ryan is more precision-based. He's more, um, you know, find an outlet than place the ball exactly where he needs to be. And there's just, like, zero motion. You mentioned it earlier, no play action. And I just – I mean, it's not like they don't have good skill players. They do. I mean, Gurley we can discuss later about how effective he is. But he's he looks fine to me. And then – Obviously, Julio and uh, Calvin Ridley, and then Hayden Hurst. You guys spent a second round pick on him, so it's they have a pretty good talent base at the skill area. And then the offensive line, they've it's gone through a lot of investments. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a pretty good unit too. So it's the talent is clearly there. It's just there's something about how the scheme is not really playing to the strengths of the offense. Well said, and it also doesn't help because. I think now it's starting. I don't know if it's taking a toll, but you know, 2018, 2019, the Falcons were losing a lot of games, and Matt Ryan essentially had to be perfect. There wasn't much room for leeway. I wonder if now if it's taking a toll on him, especially with Julio not really being there the past two weeks, because Ryan has played really badly in two games, uh, especially against Chicago. I thought he just was kind of responsible for that collapse. I know everyone's at the top of the defense, but when you're you can't put together. To, you can't produce like two first downs on a drive. It's like, okay, this defense mm-hmm. is not here. To They can't be on the field for so long because, as you know, this defense has so many flaws. But I do wonder, like, as a quarterback, it's like you're in a position where it's like your defense is going to allow at least 27 points a game, if not more. And does it take a toll on you where it's like, okay, I got to put up 350 and three TDs a week, and I can't really afford to take too many chances because if I turn it over once, it's likely going to cost us seven points. So. I do wonder if that toll is to him because he's going to be 36 come next year. And, oh, man, he's the last two seasons he's taken more than 40 sacks. So uh, I do wonder if the toll and the punishment's catching up to him. And that's a good segue because I do look at the offensive line. I think Matthews is obviously a very consistent and reliable left tackle, and he's been that way for ever since he joined the Falcons. And then McGarry, you guys invested a first-round pick a year ago. He looks pretty good this season. Uh, he's only allowed one pressure on the year and you know the interior Alex Mack was a big acquisition for you guys in 2015 or 16 when Shannon was there and then um, he's surrounded by Chris Chris Lindstrom and James Carpenter if I'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. what how how have you seen that unit because I think most people would realize that yes like their tackles are pretty good and reliable but what's the dynamic been like with the interior of the offensive line uh, Max Duffin getting up there in age, you don't see him being able to get in space or just trying to make those, uh, you know, especially when it goes against nose tackles. Max always been undersized, but, you know, stuff that he was doing in 2016, 2017, you just don't see as much. Now, granted, you know, they've moved more to a power scheme ever since Cutter came in, so I don't know if that really suits his skill set because when Chan and even Sarkeesian to an extent, they knew, you know, when it comes to running you know, outside zone, like Mac was just destroying linebackers and he just got him in space now. I don't know, you don't see making those high impact blocks. And, you know, they're rotating left guard right now. It's not just Carpenter, they have Matt Hennessy, 
who was actually really struggled in pass protection. He he was I think he played center at Temple, and now they shift them to left guard. But uh, he looks overwhelmed there so far. Now, granted, he's gone against like so because Darius Smith was eating him up. Now, granted, Darius Smith he he can you can make a case so far he could be defensive player of the year. I know no one talks about him too much. You know, Aaron Dom ranked supreme over defensive player, but Darius Smith, oof, you can play him anywhere. But uh, the offense, I say the offense line, they haven't played up to expectations, especially Lindstrom. Lindstrom's been a bit of a disappointment because there was high expectations because he showed some promise, even though he was only healthy for pretty much five games last year. He hasn't really been much of an anchor. It's just, I don't know, between them running a lot of power and just trying to maul teams when in reality they're probably one of the more athletic offensive lines in the league outside uh, of Carpenter. Yeah, you're right. Carpenter. Yeah, outside of Carpenter, those guys can move. And Hennessy needs your prototypical you know, outside zone guy. But I just think, once again, kind of that issue with Cutter and just the scheme has kind of hindered them. But uh, but, but pass protection gets better. Now, Greg, they, you know, I don't know, like Chicago ate them up pretty good, but they haven't gone against too many fours and I don't know how much Carolina could offer, but I'm gonna just say like because I know Brian Burns has been picking up some steam. Like McGarry versus Brian Burns should be one of those nice you know, matchups in the trenches. Yeah, for sure. So I think Carolina's defensive line—it's obviously young. Um, you know, believe it or not, Burns is probably like the veteran of the group, even though he's second-year player. <laughs> um, but but well, no, they one short though, right? I mean, he's more of a rotational guy right now. He's been injured off and oh. on. Uh, he 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 was healthy last week, but again, he's not really playing as many snaps as he once did. Uh, but Derek Brown, their first round rookie, he's he's not really too much of a pass rusher. I think we saw that coming out of Auburn. Um, you know, his strengths more rely on eating up the line of scrimmage and holding the point of attack. And he's been really really good against the run the last two weeks. So uh, I expect that to continue because that's sort of the player that I project him to be. And then uh, Yatur Gross Matos, they drafted early second round. He had a sack. Uh, Force fumble last week against Arizona, and he's been picking it up. So it's a young group. I do expect Burns to play well, but outside of that, it's it's sort of a question mark. So maybe this is an opportunity for the Falcons to, you know, make their presence known on the offensive line. But regardless, I think that area is not sort of where that game will be dictated. In my opinion, it's more about how the Falcons passing game uh, how they will work against carolinas um, I, I would say it's an obscure secondary it, it, it they're doing really well so far this year over their expectations but the talent level it, it's not great unfortunately but um and, and just transitioning to that area i'm not sure what the status is of julio jones but calvin ridley is you know the highest graded player uh, according to pro football focus um, for the falcons offense and then they obviously have russell gage I mentioned uh, Hayden Hurst earlier too. What's the receiving receiver situation looking like, and, and can you provide any type of status on Julio's availability this week? I'm going to assume Julio's going to be out uh, just because, especially with soft tissue injuries, it's, it takes more than a week. I think they kind of rushed him back for that Green Bay game, given just the adversity they're facing going to that. You know, I think he lasted till about the second quarter, and it's just mm-hmm. at this point with the hamstring. It might take two to three weeks, so I'm expecting him to be out. Peyton Hurst, I know early on they try to get him involved, but he's become somewhat of like an afterthought. I don't know if it's against Chicago. They they used him a lot to chip Quill Mack, which is kind of ineffective. Quill Mack was just rolling through everyone. So he could be more weapons because, as you know, Cutter uh, likes to feature tight ends, but I don't know. Hayden Hurst is nothing really more than a five to six target what I've seen so far. 
I do think he he is someone that's dangerous, definitely going up steam or off play action. Right. His athleticism could cause problems, but I think the rapport between Ryan and Gage is something to be on the lookout for. Gage, I think, is tied with Keenan Allen for most catches on third down, and these aren't like five, six down, six yard little Jarvis Landry, you know, short outs. Like these are going for first downs. Like Gage is a very good slot receiver, so I, I would say be on the lookout for him. He's someone that you know, is a really good route runner, very good after the catch, very physical. He's someone that I, I think people are going to start. Especially given you talk about third down, I don't know, I forget what the third down percentage is on season, but Ryan Gage has been just almost as on point as Ryan DeRidley this year. For sure. So, what has been your impression of Todd Gurley this season? Um, obviously, we saw towards the end of his tenure with the Rams, he's kind of slowing down, but a lot of expectation on him to replace the production that Freeman provided so what has been your impression of how he's done so far first two games i thought oh boy he kind of looks like damaged goods like he was not breaking tackles he wasn't really reading and he's always had very good vision but it just seemed like he lacked the burst lacked the just being able to maneuver past defenders even when the blocking wasn't there it just there just seemed no juice there a little substance it was like okay he might just be another guy and you know one year deal he's got to take on the chin take the l but these last two weeks, he, man, I've been really impressed. Like, I thought he was their only bright spot against the Packers. Like, he was running with some authority. And uh, even when Blocky wasn't there, he used his vision and he was able to jump cut to the outside. He was taking on defenders. Chicago, he started looking better, but I thought he's coming off his best game against Green Bay. And even though he doesn't have the breakaway speed anymore just because of that lingering knee issue, which you know has definitely dampened his career, I still think he possesses the you know, vision, the awareness to – make a difference especially when he gets to the second level because he's still running through contact Mm -hmm. it wasn't like that the first two weeks but he was breaking tackles in Chicago and then especially against Green Bay you saw on the first touchdown run so uh, I've been been pretty impressed with Gurley like all things considered because I had little expectations like I thought they should sign Melvin Gordon over if you wanted to sign over Frazier running back I was like you go for Melvin Gordon but due to the Georgia connection and you know I think Thomas Dimitro wants to sell jerseys that's how they operate in Atlanta. I think I try to get the hometown thing going on. It's cool, whatever. But I thought the Gore would have been a better signing. But Gurley, I will say, has definitely offered a lot these past two weeks, especially during a time when you know, Julio has been healthy and they kind of need some boost because, you know, once again, I think Dan Quinn's a little old school minded and he really wants to run the ball. Yeah, for sure. So you know, let's switch over to defense now because this is a pretty interesting unit. And- and Dan Quinn has been – he's been involved with the defense in some aspects since he arrived in Atlanta. But, as we know, the Falcons have never really produced an effective defense since he's been here, and he's been caught under a lot of scrutiny because of that. But, I mean, this unit does have some talent. And I do want to get your – I want to start with the secondary first because it does seem like their first-round uh, rookie, A.J. Terrell, is – active again he was on the COVID list uh, but outside of him in the secondary you have uh, Keanu Neal uh, and uh, the other quarterback uh, Isaiah Oliver I believe he played mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's starting or whatnot and I know they signed Denard in the, in the late in free agency process Ricardo Allen is obviously someone who's uh, been pretty reliable what's been your impression of 
how this secondary has done because it just doesn't seem when watching them that they're in the right place at the right time. Outside of Oliver, all of the missed time. Bernard's currently on IR. I think he'll be on IR for at least the next three weeks. Obviously, Terrell's been on the Kovalis. Alan Neal both didn't play. They just lost Demonte Casey for a year, 20 Achilles. So it's, there's been a lot of moving parts. And ironically, Isaiah Oliver's about the only player that's been on the field. And you know, he's, he's shown improvement. He's better at locating the ball downfield because he committed a lot of penalties the last year. But there's still he's always prone to a mistake. It's just a lack of concentration or just poor technique. Oliver is always bound to make one mistake. But uh, I think Kendall Sheffield, who played his first game against Green Bay, showed a lot of promise. Like he's someone that you could slide inside or you could put on the outside. He was a fourth-round pick from Ohio State. And even though he's a little undersized, he has very good ball skills. And he's someone that doesn't mind – playing pressing coverage. So I could see him maybe shadowing Robbie Anderson throughout the game. That could be a match to be on the lookout for. But it's just right now at the second there's just a lot of moving parts and now they have to adjust out Casey because Casey has played I think majority of snaps like him and Ricardo Allen have been road team but Allen's also been dinged up. So uh the secondary it's a bit of a train wreck and I don't know. Raheem Morris was someone that a lot of people were high on. They thought, okay, maybe having him as a defense coordinator will inject some life back into the defense, just some new ideas because Dan Quinn is about as vanilla as it gets. But you know, whether it's the lack of talent or just maybe Quinn's influence, it's just the defense. They haven't really shown much when it comes to different coverage looks or schemes. They're blitzing a little bit more, but blitz have been effective. And then the secondary, just they've been on the receiving end of a lot of breakdowns and. You just saw against Green Bay, there was so much miscommunication. People could talk about all oh, injuries here, injuries there, but they, they had time to prepare. And it's just, they've been seeing this since 2018. It's like this is the third year in a row where it's just making the same mistakes. And at some point, you got to hold the coaches step hopefully or accountable, I should say. Right. No, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, it's not like these players don't have talent. I was pretty high on Isaiah Oliver. They guys drafted him high. Same with. Terrell, I thought was fine, even though he might have been a little bit of a reach. And Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen have proven that they're good players. So, you know, at some point, the coaches need to put their players in the right position and ask them to do things that they're good at. <laughs> I mean, it's not too difficult. And I'm actually curious, before I go to the other positions on defense, what has been the dynamic like with the defensive play calls? Because we saw at the end of last season – when they went on that run, I think Dan Quinn gave the uh, defensive play calling responsibilities to a couple coaches. Is that still holding the same? Yeah, Jeff Ulbrich, who was like 11 years on the 49ers, he's a linebacker. He's still doing like first and second down, while Raheem Morris is calling third down. But as you know, like Morris, as defense coordinator, he works more with the personnel. Raheem Morris has been there since like 2015. Like once Quinn hired he was there as a defensive backs coach so he has a very close relationship with a lot of these players from the beginning so i obviously his voice is very important i think right now it, maybe because they're facing rogers but just some of the blitz schemes they're putting up it's just there was nothing there to like they're blitzing a lot with safeties and it's just the alignments really weird and then you know they signed dante fowler and they're just using him a lot on twists and they're dropping the coverage it's just they're throwing a lot up against the wall and seeing what sticks and not really anything sticking. Like, okay, great, Jared does his thing, but you know, it's just they're kind of hoping because you do with the the Dallas, the I should say Seattle. There, you know, everyone knows what the Seattle code three that style of defense is becoming kind of played out, and teams that have 
really called out Atlanta Fest. I'll never forget Kiki Kuti last year after uh, Houston blew out the Falcons. Well, I didn't blow up, but he put up like 55 against the Falcons, and that was the crazy Will Fuller game. Kiki Kuti basically says, oh, we knew the defense from the beginning, and we knew what the spots were to attack in the secondary. Like, they play one of the softest looks in the league. It's not much. It's not hard to figure out. So when you have opposing teams talking about like that, just like, oh, boy. And I don't know, it's just they're kind of throwing, like I said, throwing stuff against the wall. It's that's pretty much it, but I don't know what else they can do because it's like okay, the whole defense is they want to get pressure with the front four and they just don't have the talent up front, especially with Tack McKinley being banged up. They want to, be down to uh, generate that pressure. Yeah, that, that's certainly a fair point. And let's actually go into those uh, to the front seven. I want to stick with the defensive line. Tack McKinley, high drafted player. Dante Fowler, you guys paid big money this offseason. Grady Jarrett, one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. I don't think there's any question about that. And then uh, the other uh, defensive linemen, you guys have a rotation there. But I think those three guys, you'd expect them to at least, you know, their defensive line to produce a lot of pressures and sacks. So what do you think the issue is? Is it a talent level? Is it, like you said, scheme earlier? Uh, How are those guys just playing out right now? Well, fortunately, McKinley went down against Dallas in the second quarter. He had a great week one, and I think he lost like 25 pounds over the offseason, and it just seemed like he started really taking things seriously. Like, he's always had a good work ethic, but for some reason, I don't know whether it's weight or just maybe had a couple shoulder injuries, but he's kind of under point. He's never been also great finishing. He's like one of, more, one of those more pressure as far as kind of like a Brandon Graham. Like, he's someone that can like collapse the pocket, but doesn't always have the best finishing ability, but he looked really exciting early on. But he's been injured, and I don't know Dante Fowler. It's just he's been always kind of a player that's inconsistent. But you kind of see enough flashes where you get excited. But there's not been much. He just spin move like he consistently does this spin move and it goes nowhere. Like I don't know why he's so insistent on doing it, but it's just he really repeatedly just gets picked out all the time. Like he'll do it and then they'll, they'll, once like, I don't know, he can't set up properly and the tackle just push him to the side and that's it. So I do think it's a talent issue it's been like that since you know they lost like once they lost Claiborne and Poe back in twenty eighteen, it was they it's been downhill because there was a point back in two thousand seventeen you had Beasley come off defensive you know, he was a sack leader and McKinley's called for a great rookie year. Then you have Poe, Claiborne, and Jack Crawford was even making plays. But they had real depth. Now it's just like okay, it's Jared and you hope Fowler and McKinley can put together. But other than that, it's just a bunch of guys. Yeah, it's 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 crazy to me. I mean and it's it's always just fascinating when you see some teams kind of, you know, have this level of talent base, and then for some reason it just doesn't pick up. But as we saw with the Falcons last year, eventually it did. But you know, in, in Dan Quinn's case, he needs a fresh, a hot start to essentially keep his job. And the final position on de- or the final area that I want to focus on on defense is the linebacker position. And I'm a little curious about this. Because maybe you can clarify. I know Deion Jones is, you know, a stalwart in the middle of the field, in the middle of the defense for Atlanta. But what's the situation like next to him? Because obviously we know Dion is one of the best in the game, but how is the other positions next to uh, Jones working out? Boy, Lukas really come on. Um, he had a Mr. Chicago game, but for the most part of the season, he's been a real difference maker in a run game. It's for the, the he was a big reason why Dallas that first quarter, like he had three forced fumbles against Dallas, two of them were recovered. 
And I thought he was like one of the few good players against Green Bay on Monday night. It's getting, uh, I just think he's really good at challenging offensive linemen at the point. And you see a lot of linebackers, they get thrown off once they have to beat whether it's a fullback or an offensive line. He's someone that just embraces the physicality of the game. And, you know, he's not one of these, like, 225-pound linebackers. He's someone that's pretty bulky and, you know, he can move as well. So I think the be on the lookout for. I think he's an upgrade with Devondre Campbell, who just doesn't have the instincts or awareness to really play at a high level. I think they had to move on from him. So between him and then this guy, Mikhail Walker, who he's a bit raw, but he has that athleticism because, you know, Quentin Dimitrov, they're big. They have their own measurables. They have their guys, you know, the spark guys they love. So he's he falls into that. He's a bit raw and he's missed quite a bit of tackles, but he's a decent rotational player. But no, Lukon's definitely someone to look out for. I would say besides Jerry. He's probably been one of the few standouts. He might be. He might actually be out playing Jones right now because Jones he's been if so close. Yeah, it, it's weird because last week we did play the Cardinals and Devontae Campbell. I did not think had a very good game. So yeah, he does not read the field. <laughs> yeah, obviously he got pretty. Yeah. He got juked by Teddy Bridgewater pretty badly on his yeah. touchdown run. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's always interesting whenever you see former like division players moving on and then. I thought the Panthers did a pretty good job of targeting them, but this this part of the field will be this part of the game will be interesting because obviously Carolina's offense has picked it up the last few weeks, and I would say they're they've been more efficient. I would say against the Chargers, they were not very good. They got fortunate with short fields, and they were able to convert those into field goals. Last week, I thought it was a complete team effort on offense, and you really saw the making of a. Joe Brady offense that you regularly see with when you guys play the Saints. So I expect it to be in, similar to that. A lot of uh, three to four step drop back for Teddy Bridgewater, uh, targeting DJ Moore in the short and intermediate areas, then looking at Anderson and the intermediate long and Samuel use in a variety of ways, whether it's on reverses or short or bubble pass screens or deep down the field. And their running back, Mike Davis, who's replaced McCaffrey since he went been injured, he's been pretty good too. So I'm I'm going to be very fascinated to see how this plays out. Um, but I want to ask you before we wrap up a prediction. And we at Bet Online are sponsored, or excuse me, we at Blue Wire are sponsored by Bet Online. And currently the line is Atlanta minus one. You know, it's funny because earlier in the week on Sunday it was Atlanta minus four and a half. So a lot of money went towards Carolina to bring it down to one. What do you see happening in this game? Ah, oh, man, because I wish, like, if I knew the price of course, because there's just so many key players that are on the fringes right now, which obviously with Julio, but not just him, but then you have Carl Allen, Keanu Neal, and Tack McKinley. These are difference makers. So, I mean, it should uh, also be mentioned that Julio always plays well against Carolina. He does torch him. Not as, like, he always torches Tampa Bay, but Carolina, especially with those corners right now. Like I'm just looking at Eli Apple over there. I'm just like, ooh, it's a good matchup. But uh, at the same time, like, you look at Carolina, I think Curtis Samuel does have big games against the Falcons. I just always remember him, whether it's on a jet sweep or just some screen. Curtis Samuel has a tendency to just break it down. And, and even when he was on the Jets, Robbie Aarons, I remember a little bit. Of so I've always been really impressed about Carolina just – when it comes to uh, when they play the Falcons, just they always pick on 
whether it's a certain linebacker or safety, like down the like they always put up points. Unless Cam had one of those games where he just was not accurate and he was just throwing balls all across the field. For the most part, like, their offense always gets that Atlanta, even when who's the backup quarterback? Do you remember one year? Was it 2016? Did Derek Anderson come in relief and like you almost had a crazy comeback? Yeah, that was a crazy game. It was, uh, yeah, it was Derek Anderson. He threw a pick six at the end, too. Yeah, but he threw, I don't know, him and Greg Olson. I remember I just go, like, I don't know. They, yeah, he came, I yeah, I remember that game pretty well because it was the same game Julio had that crazy. Uh, he he went out like oh yeah that season. was the Ben A. Ben Wickery you know, man, poor Ben A. Ben Wickery yeah <laughs> I felt so thinking <laughs> but even though they want McCaffrey like you know, you mentioned Mike Davis before isn't Mike Davis like the most elusive running back per like metrics right now he's one of the most elusive um, according to PFF's elusive rating uh, he's certainly up there uh, as far as his elusiveness uh, right. because it, it's not like he's you know, it's interesting because whenever you discuss the running back position, I, I think there's merits on both sides of uh, the anti and the pro running back side. But uh, with Davis, it, it's not like he's running through like huge holes. He's making people miss the line of scrimmage. He's bouncing off ball carriers. He's creating yards himself. So he's doing his part of the job. Uh, now, obviously, there's a discussion we had on if this type of production, if you could find this type of production from a guy like Davis who's a journeyman, then why are you paying McCaffrey? But that's a different discussion. But like I yeah. said, so he's been pretty good. I, I have to give him credit for that. He had that spin move. Like he could have been stuck for like a two-yard loss. I don't know who the player was. We just spun past him and turned into like an 18-yard game. I was like, who is this man right now? But he's killing it. And as you know, the Falcons are a pretty poor tackling team. So that's another one of the main reasons why I like Kyle and Carolina. I just think right now, defensively, they can't really stop anybody. And offensively, even though there's probably good matchups there, it's just they don't have the consistency or the cohesiveness you know, when it comes to game plan. Like, okay, they could get in a bit of a rhythm, but next thing you know, their curl will just cause some bubble screen that will be lost for three yards or they'll just run strip and they'll really end. You know, there'll be a breakdown. And it's just – Whenever you think a good drive's come together, like saw Monday night, they had a 20-play drive. I was like, all right, they're finding some rhythm here, and then they'll just run it on second and eighth, and I'll go for two yards, and then Matt Ryan will make a mistake on third down. It's just there's no consistency right now in Atlanta, and it's hard to have, put any faith in some winning a game unless it's like just a real prime matchup like against Denver. If they play Denver a few weeks, maybe if Drew Locke's not around, they'll win that. But Carolina, they're surging right now, and I think they have a lot of playmakers, so. If I make a prediction, I'm going to go Carolina 31-27. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. I think Carolina pulls this out. I think it'll be close. Like I said, it's a division game. These games are always unpredictable. Uh, no one, and I repeat, no one, at least to my knowledge, picked the Falcons last year going into New Orleans and just beating them up. So things, weird things can happen in the NFC South, and I expect mm-hmm. – another unpredictable game but i as far as my own educated opinion i think carolina does win uh the game outright but who knows again these games are always unpredictable the falcons are sort of desperate whenever you have a desperate team it it can get a little interesting like i said I also want to mention, like, it's going to be fascinating to see because I remember, obviously, Shula and then Turner. Like, it's going to, like, seem Rule and, and Brady going against the Falcons defense be nice, like, 
you know, just seeing what their strategies are. I'm interested to see that a little bit of a chess match. I really don't want to call it a chess match because I thoroughly expect Joe Brady to just follow up some crazy plays to pick up part of the Falcons' defense. But it, it's going to be a bit of a transition because I haven't seen much of Carolina. Obviously, I watch highlights, but, you know, I've been thoroughly impressed about what Brady's doing over there. Yeah, definitely. He's been pretty good, I, I would say, this season. Obviously, there's some areas that he has to clean up. Too many early down runs, in my opinion, uh, where Teddy Bridgewater can take advantage of some of these loaded boxes, boxes with play action, but it's tough to find too many faults in a short enough season, completely new offense and a very young coordinator making the switch from college to the NFL. So, uh, so far so good. But again, Alan, I really want to thank you for joining us. I mean, this has been a pretty great episode and I think it'll be a, another classic NFC South rivalry game on Sunday. Definitely going to be entertaining, even though there's not much buzz for it. You, you know, watching the FC South, points will be scored. And I don't know, I think Falcons Panthers is always tends to be one or two moments where tempers flare and things get wild. You know, nothing like Steve Smith, the Angel Hall. We can't go back to old school where legit punches thrown, but you know, it's always entertaining. And I pick up glad just that Carolina, they seem to find, you know, some semblance now because last year just. Kyle Allen, that was a bit of a train wreck. So I'm excited yeah. to see Teddy B, and it should be a real high-score game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and is there anything else you want to plug before you head off? Uh, so I'm going to be working with this app before called Locker Room. They have, uh, they're trying to create this concept where it's like, okay, you have an app, and you could get people involved. Like the whole locker room thing, it's like they're a part of you. It's like live recordings. It's not so much podcasting. It's more shows. And you know, shout out to the Wars and Jeff Darlington there made some major investments in. So I'm looking forward to being a part of that. You know, other than that, I don't have anything really else to promote. But you know, I always enjoy seeing what you got posted, Billy. Just when it comes, to, I have, and I think I have all the NFC South teams. Like I love Panthers Twitter. Like I know uh, Anthony Rosetti shot him. Hopefully, I got his name right. I know he's a good dude. And uh, as you know, Josh Norris dropped the Jones. Like even though they're more national beat now, I just always got a good feeling. With uh, you know, be the roof for the Panthers or come from that background you know, compared to the Bucks or the Saints. Yeah. So, yeah, salute to the Panthers. Yeah, ditto to that. And Falcons swear I can say the same thing. So, again, that, that was Alan Stark. You can find him on Twitter at, at Alan underscore S T R K. Alan, thanks again. Thank you. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.